Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the Garbage Fire Podcast, aka MFKS Radio, on the airwave style at 487.52. Your bot is hosted by Kelsey and Megan, who are Eloise Bridgerton Jr. and Eloise Bridgerton Jr. Jr. <laughs> That's perfect. The Garbage Fire Pod is all about being unironically passionate to the point that you would dive into the dumpster for the things that you love. Didn't I tell you? Pregnancy <laughs> brain, Megan? You, Fucking hell. You did. You did. I'm just going to leave that in because I think that was really funny. Because for some reason I was mentally preparing to do the second half for some reason because I thought that's where our little stinger was. And I was thinking <laughs> about it like for the last half hour <laughs> and rehearsing it and then I really just fucked it up. Anyway, what else is new? <laughs> High quality programming we have here. Yep. Sure do. Okay, should we just dive into it? We are going to dive right into it because there's a lot to talk about. Okay, Bridgerton is an excellent show on Netflix. Yep. And you should watch it. Yep. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we read some books and we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Record time, 90 seconds instead of 90 minutes. Oh, gosh. I can what I find... 90 minutes about, like, the hand touches in Bridgerton, so, like, we gotta be careful here. Yeah, that's true. We gotta keep her focused as much as we could possibly focus. Um, what I found super funny is, like, you told me to watch it. I don't think you were finished when you told me to watch it. No, I wasn't. So, I started much later than you, and what I remember really enjoying is as soon as I figured out like what essentially the main conflict of the show is is I texted you in all caps it's a to all the boys I love before scenario (laughs) this is amazing yeah pretty much yeah Mm -hmm. and then I had a friend today who texted me because I recommended the show to her and she was like wait so it's just like Jane Austen fanfic and I was like no (laughs) it's a to all the boys I love before fanfic (laughs) pretty much pretty much okay so alright very brief synopsis I suppose where to begin (laughs) Uh, well no I just here's here's where this came from this is a TV show on Netflix it was released on Christmas day Uh, I think I was finished watching by like the 27th maybe (laughs) The best gift of all. Yeah, it was a good gift. Um, it's based on a series of novels by uh, an author named Julia Quinn, and apparently she's also like a, an academically trained historian, so all of her stuff is like fairly accurate, mm-hmm. which is nice. Um, and there are, I believe, eight books in the series, one for each of the children. Yeah. That's my understanding. I've never read any of the books. Um, but anyway, when I was, I was like, no, it's something to watch on TV, sure. And then I just mainlined it, and here we are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, it's this, here's what, here's what the, 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 what Wikipedia summary says. I think this works. It is based on Julia Quinn's novel set in the competitive world of Regency era, era London's Taunton during the season when debutantes are presented at court. And that's that's about as much as we can tell you without spoiling the entire thing. Yeah, pretty much. Um, 
It was filmed. I'm pretty sure the production was like finished up in early 2020. I'm yes. Pretty sure. Um, and yeah, there's the Bridgerton family. There's four sons and four daughters. And then the, the other main family that's featured is the Featheringtons, who are like close friends of the Bridgertons, from my own, like what you can tell. And yeah, I think they're just neighbors. It doesn't seem like the parents really. No, but like close friends in that like weird society way, right? Where yeah, that's true. You're that's seen true. in all the same things that you have to be because you're part of the the you're part of all of that. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. Not gonna lie, didn't really know what I was getting into, and then I really loved it, and I was like, okay, well, let's do it. It's, like, just, what else do you need? You just look at the picture, and it's beautiful people, like yeah. In Regency clothing? Like, sign me up. But, like, Regency clothing, I'm going to just say that this, this thing, I loved that almost all of the ladies' dresses were, like, empire waist. Loved it. I thought it yes. was, like, a brilliant, beautiful choice. Agreed. I think the only person who wasn't was Lady Danbury. Like, she weared very structured clothing. And, La- and Lady Featherington, too. Hers was... A bit more traditional. A little bit yeah. more traditional. Like, the older. The older they were, yes. But, like, for all yeah. of the, the debutantes and whatever, all of the women, like, they had their empire waist dresses, which, like, I thought was a really nice touch. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was... I thought it was kind of nice. I really like, to how flashy the male clothing was. Like, it wasn't just, like, dour and drab like dark colors mm-hmm. and like you know what i'm saying like an all black ensemble or whatever like there was a lot of pop and a lot of variety in their fashions too yeah and i i thought yes and you could kind of tell some of like their personality like it, it's kind of like how we wear clothes right yes. there's some personality it wasn't just everybody looking the same uh, but each Although... character very each character very clearly had like a color palette that the the show chose to like give them, uh, yes. which is nice, right? Because then it's recognizable. But they they were able to kind of like branch out, and it wasn't like you said they weren't all like uniform. Yeah, essentially. I so the Featheringtons color palette is yellow. <laughs> yes. And when all the girls get their new dresses, and then Penelope is like, "Oh, it's yellow. very yellow." <laughs> yeah, so I felt sad. bad for her. I felt really bad for her. Oh, man, geez. So, yeah, so it's set in, like, um, if you're not aware, I suppose, when we talk about, like, Regency era, uh, it's right at the end of... Mad King George. Of Mad King George's rule. Yeah. Um, but basically, the, it, it, I think the, like, formal part of it is, like, basically, like, the 1810s. Mm-hmm. I think that's like if you were like historians would agree that's like the and I, I they refer to Napoleon in this very like subtly so like it's before 1815 yeah they talk about fighting in France and Spain yeah quite a bit yeah and... so so this is definitely before 1815 when he was removed from power and command yeah. Don't they also talk about, um, shit, what's his name? You know, 
The ocean guy? The ocean guy? The ocean commander guy? Great battle fighter for England. <laughs> Lord Nelson? Oh, okay. Don't they talk about him? Admiral Nelson, they, they might. Did. They might. It's possible. I might, might have missed that. Oh. It's just one of those, like, throw-offs that yeah. they do yeah. to try to, like, put you in a time and a place. Yeah. Because one of the things that's tough about it, like, you can tell, obviously, that it's not, like, um, it's not Victorian England. You can tell that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's it definitely shows up earlier than that. But it, it is a little bit sort of muddy as to, like, exactly what time period it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it is because casting wise and production wise, they made some really great choices in essentially, I, I want to say essentially like colorblind casting, like the cast is very diverse. Whereas mm-hmm. like we know that the members of the town were all like whiter than white bread. Yeah. But like the Absolutely. queen is not white in this. And I think that there's some, those are some really cool things that they did. Uh, and then the music choices, what you've got are, like, orchestral settings of, like, pop music. And not just, like, yes. songs that people might know, like, stuff that's, like, current this year right now. Yeah, I loved that. I loved, like, trying to guess, wait a minute, which song is this? Is this Ariana Grande? Yeah, so, like, there's some really cool <laughs> stuff. If you have a Spotify account, there's, like, a little six-track Bridgerton. There's a, a long one with, like, all of the music. But there's a little six-track Bridgerton playlist on Spotify that's, like, those orchestral settings. Oh, cool. I didn't uh, know that. Which is kind of nice. But, like, Taylor, also... Taylor Swift is in there, like, Wildest Dreams, and we'll talk about that scene in a minute. But, like, because that was oh, all. That, that whole one, that was the best one of all of, like, the modern music and everything all together. Loved it. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was kind of fun. But, yeah, like you said, to figure out what song it is and, like, what the artist is and whatnot. Yeah, because it's not as easy if you, like, a lot of pop music now is very bass driven and when mm-hmm. that's really taken out and it's mostly strings like it sometimes i was just like wait a minute i know this is <laughs> i know this is something <laughs> give me 80 more seconds of this song and i'll figure it out yeah but i liked how it didn't necessarily like take me out of the story it really complemented it like the Boslerman Romeo and Juliet did. Yes, I thought so too. It kind of reminded me, I don't know, you know that episode of New Girl where... Absolutely not. Okay, well, <laughs> there's an episode of New Girl, I can't remember, maybe season four, it's just when Coach leaves, um, and his girlfriend, she's a, a cellist, and she's in, I think she auditioned for, I can't remember if it was like the New York Philharmonic or whatever, but anyway, so they were moving to New York. Um, but a couple episodes prior to that, she invited him to some kind of, like, gallery opening that she was playing at. And he went and whatever, and he kind of made a fool of himself. And one of the things that she did, she learned the theme song to Monday Night Football on her cello. Oh, my God. And so she plays it in, like, in this gallery for him, which I thought was really cool. And it it, it took me back to that and made me kind of think about it, that, like, more music should be done on strings. Absolutely. Because it's really cool to hear stuff that's very recognizable but like just played by string instruments yeah and just taken out of its own context a little bit yeah also talking about like awesome production choices the bridgerton home is the most beautiful home i have ever seen in my entire life 
just talking about the exteriors of it. Oh, it's gorgeous. It is absolutely phenomenal. Which is nice because I find a lot of period pieces, especially like later in the Victorian era, era are very dull and drab because it's like industrialization. Yeah. Just like, you know, every show and movie set in Mexico has that like orange filter on it. Yeah. And they didn't do that here. They really, it was so colorful and so bright and so just like not pastoral because they're in this city, but it didn't, it didn't have that, that grimy sense of London that we get later. Yeah. It, yes. It was very, very clean and, and bright and very like, cause I know like in, you're right. Cause in terms of like coloring and stuff for something set in that time period, oftentimes, yeah, everything's dirty and dingy and whatever but even just the coloring and and what they chose for ed- in editing choices for yes what they actually presented like it was very bright and it was very brightly lit and very sort of well well appointed and and you, i mean obviously these people have all this money and so like anything that's shot inside all these houses have these like you know huge huge windows and all this bright bright natural light and then as soon as it's evening you know there's just like candles and torches everywhere just lighting everything up like there's no there's nothing really hiding in the darkness no because like at the end of the day the main conflict is not that serious no like it's it's not not one of those series where like it's not like i was thinking about it in comparison to like outlander where you know the main thing is like they're fighting even in for the their first book. liberty. It, yes, but even in the first book with Claire, like, she's trying to survive, right? Like, yes. this is a legitimately a matter of, of life, and, life and death. Whereas, like, with this, the conflict kind of begins because there's, like, a potential for a scandal. Yes. And there isn't Absolutely. even an actual scandal yet. Yes. Or there's the potential for advancement. Yes. Like, it's Absolutely. all about what possibly could come. And, like, always guarding against that. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. The stakes are... That's what I was about to say when you are talking about, like, how bright it is. Because the stakes are extremely low. (laughs) Overall. Yes. It's... Yeah, it really is. I was just looking up where it was filmed and the locations. So, the the Bridgerton house was... uh, It's Ranger's house, which is in Greenwich. Oh, Okay. Uh, and that's the exterior. And then the interior uh, was the Halton House. Oh, it wasn't a set. It was no, an actual... No, it wasn't a set. It was, they actually filmed in an actual place, yes. Oh, wow. Uh, and then same with um, Simon's residence. Um, yes, I did see that. They used a separate one for outside versus inside. Yes, and it's interesting uh, because they, it says here they used... Um, where did I just see that? Uh, Wilton House was filmed uh, for the exterior and entrance to Simon Bassett's Hastings House. Um, but then Scion House in London and a house in Gloucestershire made up the rest of the estate. And then his Clavedon estate was made up of Castle Howard in Yorkshire for the exterior and then Wilton House for the interior, which was... Damn, they really yeah. traveled around yeah. to get all these... But lots of these places, lots of these houses are not occupied. Yeah. Like, and that's why they were able to use them for, like, certain things and others they weren't able to get into but were allowed to, like, use the outside of. Yeah. But without knowing anything, 
Whereas it, when I read about this before, I, it reminded me of when we watched uh, and we talked about um, Knives Out and uh-huh. how the outside of the house and the inside of the house, like you could tell they didn't match. Yes. Just based on the architecture inside, I was like, there's no way all of this fits into that exterior. Whereas I don't know enough about the the sizes of these places that they filmed for it to matter. And see, like, it's... That's the thing. With Knives Out, it's a labyrinth, and it's a labyrinth on purpose. But with this one, too, with this show, it just felt like, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Like... There wasn't anything that made me question, like, this doesn't feel right for these people. Like, the production choices were so on point. Yes. That I didn't question it for a goddamn second. No, I, I didn't either. I thought it was wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, okay, so what, how do we want to, like, attack this? There's just lots to talk about. We can't just keep talking around the story. I know. I need to... So, it's... This is going to be spoilers, obviously. So Um, many spoilers until we get to questions today. Legit. (laughs) Legit, legit, legit. legit. Um, So, essentially, it's a to all the boys I loved before. These two, Daphne and Simon, are going to, like, fake a courtship because he never wants to get married and she just wants to, like, get the best possible catch. And we have to point out, he's a duke. So duke, if yeah. if they are courting, or making it look like they are, then that will draw in her eyes. That will draw the attention of other people men higher than him, higher yeah. up than him, and it works because it like does. the prince wants her. I know it was so. I felt so bad for him because he seemed so earnest, and so kind of guileless that he like he was the nephew of the queen and he'd been brought there specifically to see if he can find an English wife he loves England blah 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 and there's although the stakes aren't very high there are a few people who are like pretty bruised from everything that these two do in this show including themselves yes hoisted on their own petards multiple times (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Yeah, but, um, yeah, that's the tricky thing, too, is it's just, that's the trope that, like, as soon as you know, oh, we're just gonna fake it, you're like, okay, well, they're gonna end up together, obviously. Like, this is how... Yes, but what I found television work. What I found really interesting about this because yeah, very clear. Like we've watched enough things and I've read enough fan fiction and whatever. Like we know that. Um, oh, that's something else we need to talk about. Remind me. Oh just, God! No, no, no! Just about public domain. You know exactly okay. what it is. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. No, we're no. It's fine. Um, not going to make you read anything. I just we have to talk about that. Um, but. Like, you've read enough stuff and watched enough stuff to know absolutely they were 100% going to end up together somehow. Without having read the books, I didn't know exactly, like, what shape that would take. Yeah. Like, would it be all season that it would take them to finally, like, sort things out or, you know, whatever. But what I really liked is that even though that was where you everyone knew it was going, and, like, everybody around them kind of figured it out too, right? Like... Because they couldn't hide it from anybody anymore. But I liked how the show really stuck. 
as much as possible to those like courtly traditions. Yes. And like the idea of a chaperone of having to have a chaperone. Mm-hmm. And while there's, you know, while you have a, like a gentleman caller, right? There has to be somebody in the room and like all of these things. And I felt, I, I enjoyed that it kept all of those things because it very easily could have been kind of like the, the like seamier side of things, you know, rather than in... showing, rather than just showing like, oh, this is, I see, I see. you know what I mean? Like showing all of the like illicit encounters and all this kind of other stuff. Right, right, um, right, right, right. But I, I enjoyed that it still sort of stuck with with those traditions and sort of the way that we understand them to be and, and, and whatnot. And it made for some, like, it made for some good stuff, ultimately, out of it. Yeah, and there are, there are characters in the show that do push against that. Like, Eloise, the second sister, is <laughs> a feminist and possibly lesbian mm-hmm. and only wants to, like go to university and have a career that is outside of a man and like she's she's challenging the status quo and also on this like wild goose hunt that takes up a lot of her storytelling which is fine I appreciated that how she it wasn't just her every episode being like this is stupid because it's like that's not a sympathetic character whatsoever um so although they do stick with it, there are some characters that push back against yeah. it, which is nice. And then of course you get to see like the double standard for men and women. Yeah. That exists in this and how like it's perfectly acceptable for, you know, a man to have had relationships before marriage. And no one yeah. seems to think that there's and think anything of it. But if a woman like Daphne, who's the main character, if we for her, she's spotted in the garden. With oh Simon, my god. And they're like making out and she's like, "Well, we have to get married because we've been spotted." Yeah, and she says specifically because now I'm ruined. Yeah. Yeah, not him. He's not ruined. It's fine for him. No. It's fine for him. Okay, yeah. we need to talk about a major issue <laughs> that Daphne faces in this show. Okay. Which is a complete and utter lack of sexual knowledge whatsoever oh yeah her mom does her so dirty by not explaining and like literally nothing she has no clue what sexual intercourse is and it's one thing that she doesn't know it before she gets married, right? Or before mm-hmm. she's courting anyone or, or engaged or whatever, right? But, like, once it's clear that she's getting married and this is a thing that's happening, like, somebody needs to tell her. Yes! Right? She needs to at least know a little bit of what to expect. And how is this... This is what boggles the mind. Because, like, a simple kiss... In the garden, alone, without a chaperone, could make her ruined. Mm-hmm. And yet, that is so benign as to the potential of harm that could come to her mm-hmm. if she marries someone who, unlike Simon, has zero sympathy or understanding of that and just, like, totally abuses her. 
I don't know if he has zero sympathy, but I, I really, I, I'm not, I don't know if I would go that far, because I think he, he... No, I mean someone who didn't, like someone who wouldn't, like Simon does have sympathy. Yes, but like if it was someone else. The time. Yes. Like, I, I kind of feel like if it had been her brother Anthony in that situation, he'd have been like, eh, whatever, because he seems like a bit of a rake. Um, 100%. Like, he's awful, but... um. But I th- and I think what's interesting with the two of them, like when she ultimately explains it to him, like he un- at least he understands that she's absolutely pooched. Like she has no options now. Yes, that's uh, true. And he can't walk away from that because regardless of whatever else, at that point in time, he cares about her. Yes, and he was will he was literally. Willing to die in the duel with her brother over this <laughs> ruined thing yes. because he loves her so much. Yes, and didn't want her reputation to come to harm. So yes. for for Simon, his two options in that moment <laughs> were marriage for life or death. Yes, and both <laughs> of those things are forever. There's no getting out of it. And he weighed them with death being a better option. <laughs> But when we find out, like, what his reason is, it almost, like, it makes sense from that, from his perspective, why. From his perspective, sure. But why like, death? Daphne is the most beautiful and lovely and kind person in this goddamn show. Uh-huh. And you would rather die. <laughs> than be married to her. <laughs> than be married to her. Oh, yeah. It's true. It's true. Um, yeah, so spoiler they get married um (laughs) and then she learns all about sex just so much about it oh well she learns even before that too she does and that was he does he does tell her uh that she should masturbate and how to do it which is like and that scene i was like megan i was blushing (laughs) i was like oh my goodness like he's leaning so close and i was like She's going to wet her pants in this scene. Like, what? <laughs> well, clearly what he said, it was on her mind when she went to bed. Because, as we know. Um, but I thought it was like... So, there's some interesting things the way... And again, I haven't read the books. And I'll have to talk to someone who has. But, like, this is... All that stuff is, like, lifted out of the books. To my understanding, anyway. Um, and it's always really interesting when you look at, like... That, that notion of like sexual repression, and that, yes. you know, because I don't think that's necessarily true. You know what I mean? I think it. W- I think now people tend to be a little bit more open and free in talking about certain things, but uh-huh. like that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that people are experiencing it more now than they did in the past. It's just it's well, out there a little bit more. Yeah, I think like the the concept of of sex and even like foreplay i think is like ubiquitous in media like if we see something that's labeled as like a sex scene essentially what we're seeing on tv is the foreplay leading up to the sex scene which isn't shown you know what i mean like yes yes 14a or whatever like you're not seeing (laughs) the penetrative (laughs) no not at all not at all. But there's a general understanding 
as to how the things work, I think, a little bit better because they're ubiquitous. Like, Daphne has never read a book or seen a play in which two people fuck. Mm -hmm. She's Mm -hmm. seen and read things about, like, true love and romance and the man dies to save the woman's honor. You know what I mean? Like, that's her... That's that's her her frame frame of reference reference for this world that she lives in. Yeah, but and that's so not sure, the real world that she no, lives in. No. But she's all. But well, but it kind of is because she's part of. And this is the other thing because that other. So there's the prince that was interested in her, but then there was that other guy, whatever his name was. Ugh. Yeah, exactly that guy. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm what his look name up was. his fucking name because he was but, just an absolute piece of fucking garbage. Yeah, he sucked. But like, I, I imagine, and obviously, this is why this you know why the casting was what it was because we weren't supposed to want her to be with him at all uh and then we have simon over here who's like the hottest man alive and so that makes all of that other stuff that goes with it like so it's easier for us as an audience to sort of like accept her innocence and naivety and like watch her sex education as it plays out right because because he's so good looking we can't conceive that he wouldn't be good at it I think is like the thing that we're supposed to take from that. Nigel Burbrook. Yeah, he sucked. He sucks so much. And I just like, I think there's two episodes in a row where he gets beat up. And I was just like, can we make this an every minute? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Can the rest of the show just be Anthony and Simon just fucking wailing on this dude until he dies of, like, (laughs) consumption in 50 years? (laughs) Oh, boy. But yeah, I agree. Like, there's never... There's never any likelihood of that match actually happening. No, and part of it is casting. Like, we know that. And he's also just, like, a despicable person, right? And so we're just like, oh, this guy sucks. But he's also not attractive enough. Yeah. From the way that we watch for us to be like, oh yes, that would be a good match for Daphne. Whereas the prince Absolutely. is like the prince is better looking, obviously, than Burbrook. He is, and he seems he seems kind, he seems like charismatic. Like, I don't think they ever really showed a side of him, although we get very little snippets of him in terms of screen time, but there wasn't anything about him that was, like, really repugnant in the way that Burbrook is. Like, no, he's not, not conniving, no, he's not no. manipulative. No, and, and what I think Daphne realized about herself without actually realizing that she figured it out is that she wasn't, she was attracted to Simon and not attracted to the prince. And I don't think there was a, ever before this a point at which she realized that would ever be possible. Except when she was diddling herself to Simon's memory. Well, yes, but I mean, before all of this started, I mean, right? Like, before oh, before her and Simon made their little deal to yeah. be courting or whatever, I don't think she ever considered that she would ever... Get listen. a true love match? Yes, that it would be a, a sort of a mm-hmm. match that made sense financially or, you know, in terms of status or whatever, rather than for love and she ended up getting both out of it right but I think until she met Simon I don't think she had reason to think that she would maybe necessarily do better than someone like Burbrook right okay but can we talk about when they go look at that painting because that scene might be my favorite thing in the whole fucking series 
Okay, go ahead. So, again, with keeping in with, like, the courtly traditions and whatnot, they broke a rule, because they're, what it, who, I don't remember which house they were in, whose house it was. Somerset who was, House. Who was hosting, it doesn't matter. They went, they heard this ball, and they're, you're, they're expected, you know, the women are expected to dance with all of these different men, and it's, you know, you're, you're on display and all this stuff, and... Yeah. Daphne, for all of her participation in the town, she's overwhelmed by the attention. Um, and she goes off uh, into this other room in the house and finds Simon looking at these paintings. And they're just standing, like, side by side, probably about a foot apart to start. And as a little this, too close. This a little, little conversation. And they're by themselves in this room. And as this little mm. conversation, like, takes place, they kind of like just inch a little bit closer and closer together and then the camera like is down at their hands and their hands just Mm -hmm. kind of like drift towards each other and they hold hands for like a very brief moment and then they let go because they you know there's a bit of a commotion and they have to go back into the ballroom and it's like it's very you can tell that that's gonna happen it's very telegraphed like there's no there was no getting away from it but I loved how it was put together Yes, especially because, like, I think up to that point, we know, because Daphne is so much more of a um, a lens for the audience, like, in terms of perspective, like, we see, see things through her a lot more than we do Simon. Yes. Like, we know that she's thinking of him that she likes him like all this stuff but we really don't get that from simon it seems that he's just being like playful and there then when was... she talks about that painting and like what it means to her or and how she sees it and he's like that's exactly what i would have said mm-hmm. let's hold mm-hmm. hands <laughs> pretty much because there was a, that one moment that one dance that they shared too where his hand comes up a little high and like touches her bare skin on her back and yeah. she just, like, it just takes her breath away. And that was so well mm-hmm. acted. Like, it was, like, mm-hmm. the air was sucked out of her lungs. Yeah. And that was very intentional on his part. Oh, for sure. He loves to test her. And just poke and prod her in a way that is unacceptable. <laughs> but but <laughs> to still toes others. the line, right? Like, it's, he's... Barely. He, he's like, very much on the line. Even when I he... Think... Even when he tells her about, like... I think he gets like, away with it because he's the Duke, though. Of course. But even when he tells her about, like, you know, about masturbating, right? He's, yeah. The, the way that that conversation takes place, I don't think he actually touches her at all. He's got his... No. Hand, if I remember it, he's got his hands behind his back, doesn't he? Yeah, he or just there, leans into her ear just, real close. Yeah, and so <laughs> he's, like, he straddles that line of propriety and impropriety. Yes. And probably gets away, like you say, with a little, with a little bit more than a person should. Because he's the Duke. Yeah. Um, he gets away with a lot more than someone else would. But, yeah, it's uh, it's it's really interesting sort of how that, that relationship plays out. Because by the time, you know, they plead with the Queen for their marriage license to be, like, expedited, Accepted essentially. Accepted and rushed, yeah. Um, the speech that he makes is beautiful. It is. And it's so unexpected because it's so earnest yeah it's so sincere yeah and i think even daphne is surprised by how earnest it is because there hasn't been a lot of that coming from him 
like a lot of him is a facade. Yes. And so for for it to be so sincere in front of that audience, I think she's like, not only is she taken aback by like, oh my god, he does have feelings for me, but also like, oh my god, he's like saying what's truly on his heart for the first time. Yes, yes. And, and I mean, we know kind of through her that she's in love with him. Mm-hmm. But we don't, until he says that, we don't have really any inkling that it's the same. Because he's so, like, shielded and guarded. Like, it's very clear that, that he likes her and that they get along well and that, you know, there are worse ways he could be spending his time, ultimately. Oh, for sure. But we don't know until that actually happens that, like, there's that sort of sincerity behind the things that he says to her and whatnot. Okay, we need to talk about his character arc. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Because it's extremely sad. But it's awful. It's it's really, really awful. But it leads to, as I texted you, the emotional climax of this show <laughs> is a man being willing to ejaculate into his wife. <laughs> yes, that is it. That is the emotional climax of this show. 100%. That's the whole thing. Like, literally, after that point, when it's like, oh, the baby. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> Nothing so, after this matters. The reason that Simon tells Daphne at the duel that he can't marry her is because mm-hmm. he can't give her children. Yes. And that's his phrasing. Which is true, oof, true, but not exactly. Not won't <laughs> yeah, different, yeah. but it's true, but it's not clear because he makes it mm-hmm. see well. He, and she never bothers to ask for clarification because why would she? Because she doesn't know anything. Um, no, ultimately, she doesn't even know how they're fucking made. <laughs> but she she believes ultimately that there's like a physical impediment. Yes. For like, him. she thinks it's a... Yes, absolutely. That he can't give her children. And she tells him, ultimately, that it doesn't matter. Yes. Um, because she would rather... Ultimately, like, she tells him that morning at the duel that she that, that's, that doesn't matter to her. That he and can't I think give her children. It's in the way of, like, she doesn't think of him any less. Yes. Like, I think that's her angle, is just, like, you aren't... You aren't unworthy now. You know what I mean? Like, to me, like, that doesn't... It's yes. not a horrible physical deformity that, you know, is embarrassing to the public. Like, that's that's not what it is. It's just, like, unfortunate and that's fine. That doesn't change how I feel. Yes. And then she throws herself in front of uh, a bullet. <laughs> 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 oh, boy. Anyway, so that's what he tells her. But then she ultimately, like, convinces him, otherwise, that they should get married. And uh, they do. And she still is operating under the assumption that he can't give her children. And so her lack of sexual education comes into play here. Yes. Because every time they have sex, he pulls out. Yes. And she doesn't realize that's what he's doing. No. Not a foolproof strat. No, but Simon. like fairly fool. Like you know, from that, from what he understood in eighteen twelve England, yeah. you know. Yeah. So he pulls out every time, and she doesn't know that 
until later. I think when they do it in his office, right? Like, she finally, when she learns a little bit more and figures out what's going on. Yeah, I think she she notices, but she doesn't understand the implication. Yes, that's fair. Until she goes to her servant Mm -hmm. and said, please please tell me about sex. (laughs) (laughs) The the mechanics of sex, please please tell Mm -hmm. me now. Where do babies come from? Where do baby come from? How does this work? Uh, and then she finds out. And then, yeah. So Simon has some daddy issues is ultimately oh, where this God. all comes from. Um, does he ever? And she, Daphne's sort of unfortunately caught in the middle of all of this. Because it's yeah. very clear that she loves him so much. And ultimately going into this thinking that he can't give her children she's still willing to marry him because she wants to yes but it's like when this betrayal comes out she well she calls it a betrayal and he's like well it's not he's like i did he's like you never asked and i'm like oh that's not the right way to but also like simon you never explained and you you allowed her to misunderstand yes there was there's many points in which he had the opportunity and the responsibility to explain to her exactly what she meant what he meant by that Mm -hmm. as he they're now married yeah but also like the readiness to which she decides well, I guess we will just essentially live separate lives from now on. Mm-hmm. Like, you've been married three weeks. Mm-hmm. And all you do is fucking libraries. <laughs> like, And in the garden. And in the garden. Just and like, in that little, like, gazebo. And on the stairs where everyone in God can see you. Like, yeah. there's... And in bed. There's some of that as well. There is some of that in bed that's true. But, like, Daphne, you fought for this. You, like, finagled your way into this marriage. And this to you, this to you is the thing that's like, well, I guess we're never going to talk to each other. And we're never going to see each other. And we're going to live totally separate lives. And I'll be in London. And you'll be in the country. It's just like, get a grip, you two. Yeah. Yeah, they're... Yeah, they, they they hurt each other a lot. Yes. In the middle of all of that. Which is unfortunate because it's... it. You know what it reminded me of? And you're going to roll your eyes really hard. I can, I can feel it already. It reminded me of the movie, which I guess was also a book, which I obviously never read. The movie The Lucky One, the Nicholas Sparks one. The, okay. conf- the conflict in that is... Zac Efron's character was like a marine or whatever comes back from Iraq he's got this photo that he found after um, I can't remember if it was a bombing or like a some kind of a, an IED it doesn't matter whatever he found this photo and he tried to like figure out who it was and because he he believed that the this photo of this person saved him and so he has he landmarked it and he like ended up in Louisiana and whatever and falls in love with the girl and doesn't tell her how he 
came to be down there, right? Oh, okay. And then when she finds out how he came to be down there, she's, like, so angry, and I don't understand it. I'm just like, I don't know, maybe it was hard for him. Maybe he's got PTSD. Like, I, it just, to me, yeah. the whole conflict was, like, very, very silly to me. Because that was the, she was so angry with him that she kicked him out of the house and, like, all of this kind of stuff. And I was like, really? Yeah. But that's a thing because, and I agree, it's similar because Simon had never, never at any point tells her the truth about his background and his childhood. Yes. She, finds it in those extremely sad letters he wrote to his father and through Lady Danbury. Yes, and his father was an awful human being. Yes. Who treated him like absolute garbage. And like, so Like, less when... than garbage. Like, essentially, like, as if he was nothing. Like, told people that he was dead. And so when... Simon's father was on his deathbed. Simon made it swore to him that the Hastings line would die with him. Yeah, that he would never have children. Ultimately, like it's it's the it's the early 19th century equivalent of like I don't want to bring a child into this world. Just yeah, to make the same mistakes that my parents did. I think so, but also I think a larger part of that though is like how how much he resents his father for for valuing the name Hastings more mm-hmm. than his actual blood. And Simon just finds that despicable. Yeah, and he and he and in a way like that's his way of separating himself mm-hmm. from his father. Yeah. Right, separating himself from the the legacy the trauma. of that. Yes, yes, yes. And doesn't want to pass that on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can't blame him, right? Like, at the end of the day, you can't blame him for not wanting no. to to continue that on. And, like, it's one of those things. Like, he doesn't know how to be any different. Because, or he doesn't expect that he'll be any different. Because that's what he experienced. Yes, he has no other, just like Daphne... No other frame of reference for what, like, human behavior is. So she comes from this family that is so lovely and so warm and close. Extremely close. And for her family is everything. Mm -hmm. And so when she finds out that he's been, like, withholding the possibility for her to have that, that's what she sees as the betrayal. And I think that's, like, a reasonable reaction, right? Because in her mind, that's part... To her, anyway. And, I mean, maybe this is a conversation the two of them should have had before they made out in the garden. I don't know. But, like, for her, the idea of getting married... Obviously, like, she's she's a woman in this scenario, and so it becomes a little bit different for her. But for her, part of getting married is to have a family. Like, that's part yes. of the deal. Yes. It's and her was, assumption of what normal life is, yeah. Because that's what she was from, and so if you get married, like, why wouldn't you want that, right? And so I think as long as she believes that he can't, that's very different. But as soon as she finds out that it's he won't, and he's been mm-hmm. he's been omitting that part of himself, ultimately, like, that, that belief that he has, I think that's why she feels it's such a betrayal, because... Mm-hmm. There's 
to her in her mind like there why would that be your thought process yes but i think she's also working on extremely different societal expectations Mm -hmm. right like people expect her to get married like everyone as soon as they get married they're all just like oh you know is she with child yet you know like everyone's just like a fucking creep about it even the queen is a creep about it well he does it to her in a different way he does the same thing to her in a very different way when they go to the fair once they're back in in hastings house yeah or at at, at the castle or was it cliveden yeah cliveden um Because she, like, part, you know, she doesn't pick a winner with the pigs. He does not come to her rescue there. Oh, my God. And doesn't tell her that, like, she has to. And then yeah. she has to ask somebody else. Again, she has to ask someone who's, like, at a way lower station in life. Like, why? What have I done? Mm-hmm. Like, what have I done wrong? And then it's explained to her. And then it's all sorted out. But she has to, like, that's, that was another place where he very easily could have, like, jumped in and been like, oh, you, you actually, we need to do that. Because this is part but of the deal. But that's the thing. I, I doubt that even Simon knows. Like, he seems to... He just wants to be out of England, even. He talks about going abroad before she flings herself in front of a bullet. And, like, the estate is in shambles. Like, the person he had managing it did a shit job like he seems Mm -hmm. extremely disconnected from it too so not necessarily to like cut him a hundred percent slack but like but someone should have told her someone should have told somebody and maybe it's the housekeeper whatever her name is maybe she's the one who should have said something Mm -hmm. somebody should have been like oh this is what this is all about this is what we do here at this thing Mm -hmm. just so that you are this is what's expected of you as a duchess like yeah she's like 17 She's so young, I know, I know. And he's like 30. Is he that old? He's gotta be that old. He's gone to school. Like, you don't think Anthony is 30? I don't know, maybe. Because... Because she's the fourth kid, remember? Yes. Because it's Anthony... Whatever the B one is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Colin. Yeah. Benedict. Benedict, Colin, and then Daphne. Yeah. So, they, yeah, I think there's quite a gap there between the two of them. Maybe eight years at least. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. Um, I never, that never really, that never really, like, registered in my mind. So, anyway, that's fine. Well, um, I think it's because it's not, they don't, look as different in age than she did with the gross guy that's so true because like, i think in this real life more appropriate in real life she's like 25 and i think he might be 30 so like it looks a little bit less like she's not as young as yeah as and he Daphne. doesn't look 40 or fucking like 65 which the featheringtons are trying to do to that poor girl Yes, yeah, exactly. We don't even have time to talk about that storyline, Megan. <laughs> I know, it's ridiculous. So, the thing about all of this, like, once once Daphne decides that they're going to live separate lives, they do, and it's cruel, and it's hard to watch. Uh-huh. Because it's very clear that, like, this is part, and again, this is part of the, the societal expectation piece of things, right? They can't really get divorced. Yeah. There's There's not an option at this point in time. Like, someone's gonna have to die for them to be, like, truly, truly separate. Yes, because, so they're going to just live their lives separately in this large house. 
mm-hmm. and it's so fucking big that they could. So oh, like, it's, <laughs> it's so stupid how big this house is. But every time they like meet, they like pass each other in a hallway, or like she comes in for breakfast one day, and he's like not expecting her there, and and she's like playing on the piano. While he's, you know. Shooting. <laughs> well, he's shooting and she's playing, so, has the doors open, is playing so loud because she knows it's going to throw him off. And like, mm-hmm. they're trying just to hurt each other as much as yeah. possible. And every time they interact after, you know, Daphne says that, like, it's it's hard to watch because you can tell that they're still very much in love with each other. Yeah. They're both, like, and... they're both, they're both so hurt by what's happened that they can't, like, talk their way around it. And each one, like, scene after scene each one like has that facial tick of almost like uh, i want to say i want to say yes that i forgive you yes, <laughs> or absolutely. like i want to say this is stupid and can't we just talk like you, both of them have those moments over this period of hurtful time and just neither of them can get the fucking yeah. guts to do it until yeah. a rainstorm. But then the second, except the second last episode where she makes him come back to London. Um, yeah. Because she goes to see her family and she's like, no, you need to come because you're my husband. Like, you don't really have a choice. Yeah, you have an obligation. We need to do this together. And so they but do. But also it's more like people will talk if you don't. Yes. And so they do because reputation matters to both of them. Mm-hmm. For better or for worse. And so she sees him, like, interacting with her younger siblings. Like, with the little ones. And that's where, like, her heart starts to soften a little bit. And you can see it. The way that it's, like, the way that it's written on her face. Like, she's starting to sort of realize that, like, deep down somewhere, there's goodness in all of that. Mm-hmm. But also he... I I also thought that that was him kind of waving a white flag to be like, I'm making an effort. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so that was like that was in the second last episode. Then the last episode was when they got the painting done, wasn't it? And then the rainstorm. Mm-hmm. So they get their portrait done, because you know, you're <laughs> Duke and Duchess, you have to have a portrait done. Uh and they're standing in, in this a like record amount of time. Very much I might so say. yes. Uh, but they're standing in this awful awkward position and they like there's no physical contact. Like, it's just awful. And then the the artist, like, gets them to get a little bit closer. And he puts his hand on her shoulder and, like, touches her bare skin. And again, all of the breath sucked out of her body. And I was like, oh, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> everything's going to work out. Everything's going to be just, just great. There's, there's, like, there's, oh, these young kids. There's seven there. more books. Clearly we're fine. <laughs> sort of my way of thinking (laughs) totally but I also really really liked how the thing about Daphne is that she is so kind and she is so warm and she is so full of love that like when the rain happens at this party of theirs and like he's just like oh no like this is fucking like, this perfect event is destroyed and, like, she's gonna be really upset and she's just, like, <laughs> like, tip of the iceberg Yeah, this rainstorm is. Yeah. And what she says to him is so, so beautiful. Like, you are not unworthy of love and you yeah. need to accept that in your heart. Yeah. 
And stop being such a dingus. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I just looked it up. Apparently in the book, she's 21. That's when she makes her debut. Is at 21. Oh, okay. So she is a little bit older, and I wouldn't look up how old he is. Just, what's the... Um, 29. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that speech that, yeah, what she says to him is lovely. About it that. is, and it's everything that he's never heard in his life. It's kind of her response to what he said in front of the queen. Yes, yes. Like, it took some time to get there, but it's her response to that beautiful speech that he made. But it's much more pointed. I think, like, <sighs> she's trying to accomplish, like, not just a reputation, but she's trying to, like, save him from this self-wallowing that he's been doing since he was a toddler. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And we see him, we see his facade crack a little bit, too. So she, when she figures out that he's been, like, pulling out and why he's been doing it, she tricks him into, (laughs) (laughs) she does. She, like, she gets on top and she, like, he can't push her off and that's the end of that. And he's very upset. Um, He is. and, And she's, like, traumatized by it, ultimately, because she knows that she's hurt him. Yes, and but so, she also knows that she's right, that her suspicion yes. and that trick proved yes. what she suspected. And so they basically have this argument about it, and she basically says, well, if you know, if, if her courses come, then they'll live separate lives. Yeah. And if they don't, and she's pregnant, then they'll be miserable together. I know, which is like, isn't that just the same thing? <laughs> Pretty much. But anyway, um, yes. But I, I kind of feel like the idea of them living separate lives then is like sort of tacit permission. That to have yes, affairs? I think yes, that's, yes. that's what that means to me. Whereas if there's a child involved, that's not, there's, that's not going to be happening. And so they go to the opera and all of a sudden um, she realizes that she's not pregnant. And he can hear her crying. Her mother goes to her. And he can hear her crying. And he's got tears in his eyes. Yeah. And he doesn't know what to do. Do you... Like, where where do you think those tears are coming from? Is that because... I don't think... No, it's not... I think it's because she's... In, like, she's hurting. I don't think it's because okay. she's not pregnant. Okay, gotcha. I think it's because that this this thing that has happened between the two of them... Um, has ended. Has gone to such lengths. Because yeah. I, okay. I, I firmly believe that a man who's like, I would rather die than have you marry me and not be able to have children. <laughs> right? Like you're just going to end the sentence. <laughs> like, I, but I, I firmly feel like a man who believes that and is like, I would rather your brother kill me than yes. me have... Because than I you. care about you so much. Yes. Yeah. He, at that moment, I think that he's, his tears are coming from a place of, like, pain. Because he knows that this thing that's gone on between him, that he ultimately caused with, by Mm -hmm. not being forthcoming, has hurt her so much. And that's essentially, like, his father's behavior. Yes. And I wonder, too, if that's part of that realization that, like, as much as he wanted not to be his father, he became his father. He became his father by refusing to move on. Yeah. 
and have like meaningful loving relationships with people and there's that moment where they're sort of tender with each other after he and anthony get into that fight which was fucking great because anthony also deserved to be punched in the face um and you know when she comes to like clean his clean his wounds and it's like soft it's like you can see that they're they still care but mm-hmm. it takes a, it takes the time all the way through to the end of the end of the season ultimately because this all takes place over one season like this is all fucking rapid as shit, um, mm-hmm. but but the the last ball of the season by then it takes until then for them to like work their shit out, and then she's pregnant and then they have a baby. And. Did you care about the baby? No, you not even a little bit. He willingly ejaculated into his wife. Yeah, it's true. Absolutely, that was a hundred percent the emotional climax of this whole season. For sure, it was. It's the best show. It's great. It's so good. <laughs> the other thing that is interesting about this show, which I think we we have, we can talk about this other little plotline for a sec. It's narrated by Julie Andrews. Which I don't like shows with narration, generally speaking. I would listen to Julie Andrews talk all day, so it's fine. Um, but it's she's a delight. She's the voice of this mystery gossip, gossip. columnist, yeah. ultimately named uh, Lady Whistledown, who tells all of these stories about all of the people in the town. So it's just all these high society people, and you know. About their about their marriages and their courtships and their dalliances outside of their relationships and all of these sorts of things. Yeah, it's like a page six gossip rag. Yeah. Uh, we find out at the end that Lady Whistledown is none other than Penelope Featherington, who is like 18 years old, maybe, if that. Um, and she has revealed some awful secrets. About these people. Like, awful, awful secrets about some of these people. Because she is desperately in love with Colin Bridgerton, for reasons unbeknownst to me. Yeah, me too. I mean, I get it, I suppose. Like, she's a little bit younger than him. But I I get why, and the families are close enough, I suppose, that she knows him quite well. But, um, anyway. He's also, like harmless. Yeah, he seems very like soft and gentle unlike the other two. Um, yes. So so there's that. But then so Colin like falls in love with this girl her name's Marina. She's pregnant already. Uh not with Colin's baby, but anyway, so he's going he wants to court her and they want to get married and then things happen and it doesn't work out. But then Lady Whistledown, Penelope as Lady Whistledown like reveals that this Marina is pregnant. Yeah. And Marina's been, like, living in her house, and... Oh, it's awful. It's terrible. And it's... It's a whole season of the Featherington? Featherington family trying to dupe a suitor Mm -hmm. into marrying this girl so that they do not have dishonor upon their family. Yes. And because she cares so much about Colin, she, like, refuses to let that happen. Yeah. So... She writes about it and just fucking dunks on her whole family. Mm-hmm. But her family is just full of awful and wicked creatures. Her her mother and her old her two sisters remind me of like the stepmother and stepsisters. Yeah. Like that was very Absolutely. much. And now that Lord Featherington is dead, it's that's just a Cinderella family. Yeah. 
And she's Cinderella well, somehow. But Cinderella's dad loved her. And True. seemed to be like a kind hearted man. <laughs> True. But like, you know, that's but that's what the family is now. Like, cause she's very clearly the least favorite. She's yeah. very clearly, you know, like there's it's very clear because you know, when they get their dresses and they're so lovely and then hers is yellow. Like yellow. it's just it's it's very clear that she is not the one who is going to bring the family any honor or whatnot. And I wonder if that's why she does. But it's such a weird reveal because it made me, and I don't know if you ever watched Gossip Girl, but it made me feel very much like the end of Gossip Girl when they revealed who Gossip Girl was. I was like, oh, fuck off. Come on. See, I actually thought it was going to be the dressmaker. That made so much sense to me. Yes. She spends so much time with these women. And then also she spends time with the men. And we Mm -hmm. didn't know that at the time. And And when she's with the women especially, she does a lot of listening. Yes, of and course. And not an awful lot of talking, right? Because she's measuring and, and whatever it is that she's doing and, and making sure that everything fits well and she's just listening to these conversations. Well, and, like, everyone feels free, well, the women especially feel free to talk around her because she's inferior to them. Yes. Like, what risk is there in yeah. her hearing these secrets? Yeah, and so the reveal at the end of Penelope as Lady Feather, or Lady Whistledown was just like, oh... Well, then, this is going to be interesting as we find things out. Yes, but it's still the emotional climax. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're 100% correct. <laughs> at the at the end of the day, none of it mattered because we got the, the whole story, the whole season was, like, focused on Daphne and Simon. And yeah. knowing, and like you said at the beginning, as soon as, as soon as they decided to fake date, you knew they were going to end up together. Uh-huh. It was just, how are each of them going to fuck it up along the way? Yeah. But it's and, a great watch. Oh, it's so good. And y'all should watch it. And just, it's great. It's a great ride. It's a great ride. It's a great ride. And what I really appreciated, too, is, like, they fuck a lot. But it's also very, like, female pleasure-focused fucking. Mm-hmm. Which is such a re- like, it's it's such a rarity. It's refreshing when that happens because yeah. it's very very uncommon, especially because she is so not necessarily innocent but inexperienced. Yes, and so like it, in a way, it's another aspect of Simon's character, like showing his care for her mm-hmm. that he takes the effort. To make sure their sex is a married couple, like it would have been with fucking Burbra, because essentially rape. Yeah, yeah, and I think also, I think the thing that that is nice about the show too, like as much as it's focused like on female pleasure and all of those things, but I also think it's nice that the men that are featured, sort of as like part of the central cast, have some feelings and some emotion. Oh, absolutely! Like as much as Anthony's a dick. And, like, probably deserves all the bad things that he's ever going to get. He, I think, genuinely had feelings for Sienna. True. And he's also <coughs> struggling with the expectations of filling his father's place. Like, and he has no idea how to do that. And he's no, just, like, trying to figure it out and making a lot of mistakes. But that's fine. Like... He, he attempts to learn from them, which is and, nice. And there's still moments, too, where, like, with his other siblings, especially the younger ones, like, you can tell that he wants to do his best for them. Yes. Like, he's not out there. He's done his traveling. He's done his school. 
you know, he's had all of the women that he wants when he's been away. And now it seems like the implication is, I think, that it was just he and Sienna. Like, he wasn't sleeping around with a bunch of different people. Yeah, I agree. That it was just the two of them. And I believe quite strongly that he had legitimate feelings for her. Um, but I also think what she says to him at the end of it, when she's like, you know, he wants me for me. Yeah, and, and not to change let me, go. me. I was yeah. like, ooh, okay. Um, and then he, at the end, he becomes resolved because he's going to find himself a wife. Like, he's yes. ready to, to start taking this seriously. And that's, like, the, the, the transition, ultimately. But also, like, once Daphne is married to Simon, that is such a status uplift for the family. Would it really have harmed them if he married the opera singer? Probably not. You know, like, but but I I understand her point of view of, like, we, I think Anthony would always feel the motivation to hide her. Yes. And I also, and I also think in his mind, too, like, he understands deep down that, like, he has a responsibility. Yeah. Right. And at some point in time, you know, like, he is, he is the head of the family and the head of the family needs to... Make some sacrifices. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's going, he's going to start taking this seriously. So my understanding is the next book is centered around him. Okay. So I do. And so I think like each of the eight books, like there's one per kid essentially is how, is how it works. So I don't know what the show's going to do. Like I'm assuming there's going to be more. Apparently this is like the fifth most watched Netflix original ever. Um, Yes. And it's been out for like three weeks. So apparently (laughs) it had like, tens of millions of views in three days it was like yeah something like 63 or 65 million that's it like that's as many people as like watch the mash finale like, yeah that's fucking it's, crazy it's town um and so there's going to be more very clearly right like that's that's absolutely what it's going to be um and i'm curious i'd be curious to know if they're going to do what the books do and now like the next one is going to be about like centered on anthony and sort of his stuff yeah, see, or, I'm almost disappointed by that, because I, I was hoping it would be Eloise. Yeah, because there was so much build-up towards... Her, like, prepping yeah. for her debut next year. But I guess at the end of the series, the mom says, like, I can see that you're not ready yet, and yeah. so we'll delay you a few years, which yeah. Yeah. makes way for Anthony, I guess. Yeah, and so, yeah, so we'll, we'll sort of see what happens. But it'll be good. I'm, like, I like the casting. I think the casting is amazing. And I remember saying to you, I like that most of the people are, like, relative unknowns. Yeah. Like, there's very, many, f- like, distracting there are very few names. recognizable people in this. Yeah. For me. Which was nice, because I was like, oh, yeah, they were in this and this and this. It's just, like, here's a cast of all of these people who, and they're all, I think they're all British, from what I can tell. Anyway. I think also, like, 99% of them are theater actors, too. Mm-hmm. Which I think added a nice layer Theater or, the like, show. or, like, British television. Yeah. Um, and not, I haven't really broken a lot into a lot of, like, American stuff yet, which is why a lot of them aren't really all that recognizable. Uh, but it was kind of nice in that respect that, like, your, your leads aren't already super famous they're mm-hmm. they're becoming famous now obviously but they're not there they weren't there yet and I, I thought that was kind of refreshing to have some people that you wouldn't necessarily normally see but it was also nice not to have any of the like people you would normally see in a period piece 
Yes. It was nice not to have any of those people around. No Alan Rickman's R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> no Hugh Grant. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like, none of those none of those people that have, have just, like, been around in things, right? Like, we got some fresh blood, ultimately, which was kind of nice. Yeah, it allows you to sink yourself into the story a bit more, because you're not distracted by yeah. recognition at all. Yeah, and the last the last thing uh, that we need to talk about is the music, and just, again, because that, that one scene that I was talking about, the Taylor Swift one, the thing I was thinking about, so this is at one of, on their honeymoon, when they're, like, it's, like, the first night when they're at Cliveden, and they, like, are eating dinner at this big, long, formal table, and he's like, no, come here, so, she, you know, she pulls her chair around, and they're sitting, like, you know, side by side, and he pulls her gloves off. I'm like, oh yeah, they're definitely gonna fuck. Let's see what happens. The servants get very uncomfortable, because this is not what they're used to, obviously, in the house. No. Like, not even a little bit. So he, like, removes her gloves, and it's very much like the hand touch in the gallery. Like, it's the same kind of thing. Um, and then he just, like, takes her hand, and they run out the doors across the lawn to this, like, gazebo thing. I don't even know what it is. Um... And there's this, like, string version of Wildest Dreams by Taylor Swift playing. And I was like, I, as I, it took me a second to figure out what the music was. And as that was all happening, I was like, I don't know if there's a more perfect piece of music for this scene right now. Like, I thought, like, that was just, like, an absolutely perfect choice. For sure, for sure. In but that also, particular like... moment. And it was pouring rain and, like, everything about it was wonderful. It was. But I, <laughs> I was distracted because... I was like, no wonder the housekeeper is, like, fucking frustrated with these two. Because she, like, organizes this full, like, I don't know how many courses dinner. Yeah. And these two take one look at their fucking bare skin of each other. And, like, it's on, like, Donkey Kong. (laughs) I'd be like, come on. Can you kids at least eat fucking dinner first so I can go to bed? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was good, and so I hope my hope is for whatever comes in the next season is that they continue to do good, like clever things with the music. I imagine they will. It's a Shonda Rhimes show. I don't think we mentioned that, but it's Shonda, and all of her stuff is like well produced, crushed and it well again, put together. Shonda. And so I yeah. feel I feel like those choices will continue to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really really good to have some of that contemporary music and, and those bright colors and, like, not what you would expect out of that kind of time period. No. Um, 10 out of and 10 they say would fuck. Oh, they do. They say fuck. Like, when Anthony says fuck, I was like, oh my... And Anthony fucks Sienna against the tree, like, two minutes in, and I was like, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny, because I had heard it was going to be there. And I saw it on my Netflix thing, like, you know, here, watch the trailer, like, before it was released. And then on Twitter, I think on Christmas Day, I saw somebody on my Twitter was, like, they had hashtagged Bridgerton, but then they were, like, the hand touch. And I was, like, must watch. And then I, that was it. (laughs) I didn't even know what was coming. But I was, like, I need to figure out what this is all about. And then when I got to that point, I was, like, oh, yes, I understand now. You're like, whatever this is, it's clearly sexual tension, and I'm into it. Yeah, like, you needed, I don't know what you, you needed, like, a chainsaw to cut through some of that sexual tension. It was great. Did you ever? And like we said earlier, it was very nice that the stakes were not that high. No, like, the most 
the most you felt was like a frustration because it was just a classic situation of like just talk to each other you yeah. fucks yeah <laughs> uh, yeah absolutely like Whereas just be if, vulnerable <laughs> there's no there was no political drama there was no like you know the world wasn't ending it wasn't like no one was fighting for their own lives or anything like that or freedom no. like it was very low stakes and i like that because i feel like after all of the shit that's gone on in the last little while, it was nice to watch something, like, to me, that was very, truly, like, very escapist. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. 1,000% yes. And, like, I felt like I was there. You know, it was a very immersive watch, Mm -hmm. which was nice. And I didn't have to, like, I didn't have to think too hard about it. Even the, like, who is Lady Whistledown didn't actually care all that much. I was actually surprised they revealed who she was. Me at the too. End of this one. But it didn't matter. I was like, okay, Julie Andrews, keep talking. Like, it's all good. Like, it just, I didn't have to think. I didn't have to worry about stuff. Uh, it was very, in a lot of ways, it was very comforting. Uh-huh. Because there was no. 100%. There was no danger of anybody, anybody that we cared about dying. There was no danger of anything terrible happening to any of the people. And you had to know, like once they had their fight and and whatnot, like, if you've watched any television or whatever, you know how stories get told. And you know that eventually they're going to make up and everything's going to be fine. Yeah, absolutely. And And you know that, like, the hardest part about watching the show was the first episode just, like, memorizing all the names. (laughs) Because there's so many fucking characters. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was the big challenge. they introduce in the first five minutes. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, that was the big challenge. And if that's the hardest I had to think about it, then I'm doing just fine. Yeah. Yeah, so 11 out of 10 would recommend. Yeah, absolutely. And just, like, watch it and enjoy it. And we spoiled everything for you. Doesn't matter. Just watch it anyway. Honestly, there's so much that we did not even fucking talk about. Yeah. So much. Okay. It's great. Yeah, it is. Continuing on our path of spoilers. Let's talk about a book. We're going to have to make this quick, though. (laughs) We can make it quick. We talked about Bridgerton a lot. We did. There's lots to talk about. It was good. Okay, so we both read The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Yes. I picked it up at the bookstore, and I read it in an afternoon, and then I sent it to Kelsey for Christmas, and uh, Weather and Canada Post uh, conspired against me, and it got there well after Christmas, but it got there, so. The thought still counts. Uh, so the guest list is a murder mystery told from a variety of perspectives, all of the different people that are involved in the story. It's a very small plot, all things considered, which is nice. There's not a ton Only of people Only over, you... what, 36 hours, maybe? 36, 48, yeah, it's like, it's a weekend, essentially. Like, it's, yeah. it's real quick. Um, and there are, like, what, ten characters? Oh, like, yeah, maximum. Yeah. Maximum. It's, it's not a big story, which is nice, because a book like that, when it, you switch perspectives, and it's told, I think, every single person has at least one chapter. So, when it's told from a variety of perspectives, you can't have a ton of people. Um, no. And, and they're short chapters. And it's one of those where you know at the outset, like, it tells you right on the back of the book jacket that one of the people... Um, on this guest list is dead. 
and one of the people who's in the story killed them. Like, it's one of those yeah. where there's no... It's not like you have to wonder about, like, somebody coming in from... Because it's, it's set on an island, it's, which is not a real island. It's she she made this one up, but it's an island off the co- west coast of Ireland. Um, and there's this, like, lodge that these people are at, essentially, for this wedding. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's, that's the setting. It's very, sort of, uh, stark and barren and... Not a place Extremely. You, wanna, you necessarily want to go traipsing around too much um, on your own at night. <laughs> Bad things can happen. Um, but I, re- I really liked it because it was one of those books where I was like to try and figure out like who did it before the reveal comes, and I did not guess this one. No, absolutely not. Did not, not see it coming. I was trying to send you my predictions. I don't think we should spoil it at all. I think we should talk around it. because okay, I, We can do that. I really want people to read it because it's not like Bridgerton where like we spoiled I guess a lot of like the main character storylines but there's so much else that comes with it this is too tight to do that yeah um but what I really appreciated about the book is that like with every chapter it's the opposite of Bridgerton where the stakes are so incredibly high because you know someone's gonna die already and so you're trying to figure out who has the potential to be murdered and who also is the potential murderer. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Everybody sucks. Everybody is <laughs> awful. They're awful to each other. They're they're just awful. They're awful to themselves. Like I was shocked, shocked by how destructive each person was to their own psyche. Like, the amount of negative self-talk each of these characters has, mm-hmm. it's just like, oof. Luckily, it's a fast and short read, because I was like, I don't know if I can live in these people's brains any longer. Oh, yeah, this. there are no redeeming characters in this one. Well. No, that's not true. That's a lie. There's, like, one. <laughs> There's there's one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one big one, I think. Yeah. But but even so, like <sighs> what I liked about that is that it complicates the whole thing because now you're like there isn't one dastard that needs to go. You know, you're like, well shit, any one of these people has motivation to knock off any of the others and it leaves you in the dark for so long that Mm -hmm. as these secrets are revealed they're so satisfying so here's this is this comes right from the book jacket okay so this is the this is the plot summary the bride the plus one the best man the wedding planner the bridesmaid the body On an island off the coast of Ireland, guests gather to celebrate two people joining their lives together as one. The groom, handsome and charming, a rising television star. The bride, smart and ambitious, a magazine publisher. It's a wedding for a magazine or for a celebrity. The designer dress, the remote location, the luxe party favors the boutique whiskey. The cell phone service may be spotty and the waves may be rough, but every detail has been expertly planned and will be expertly executed. But perfection is for plans and people are all too human. As the champagne is popped and the festivities begin, resentments and petty jealousies begin to mingle with the reminiscences, that's a hard word to say, and well wishes. The groomsmen begin the drinking game from their school days. The bridesmaid not so accidentally ruins her dress. The bride's oldest male friend gives an uncomfortably caring toast. And then someone turns up dead. 
Who didn't wish the happy couple well? And perhaps more important, why? That's the thing. Nobody wishes them well. Nope. Like, literally not one person there is happy about them getting married. Like, I think Jules and Will, the the couple, mm-hmm. they want to get married. They, like, I think they truly care about each other. Mm-hmm. Even if it's, you know, extremely rushed. But I was like, why do these people have any connection to anyone else in their lives anyway because every single person is so toxic mm-hmm. like i was just like how did you even have a fucking guest list for this wedding anyways i know Why yeah, would it's... you invite these people nobody gives a shit about you no one no. cares no and it's that even your dad it's that weird like i've read it and i don't know how to i don't know how to phrase this properly so I read another one by Lucy Foley called The Hunting Party, and it's very much the same thing. It's set in Scotland. Um, out in a hunting lodge. And it, it's real good. Um, didn't didn't guess it either. And I was like, Jesus Christ. It was it was felt it wasn't quite as shocking to me as the reveal in the silent patient. because uh, that oh. one blew my fucking mind. But both of these did the same thing where I was I had no idea who it was gonna be. And then all of a sudden I was like, holy shit. Um, and there's a thing in the hunting party as well, where these people, some of them, they know each other from university, essentially. And so part of what goes on and part of what happens in the guest list as well is there's these, like, these, some of these people are just friends because they've been friends for so long Mm -hmm. and there's nothing really keeping them together anymore. Yeah. And that happens very much in the guest list. Like the people that are, are part of this other than, um, Jules's sister, Yes. Right, who's that's her sister. So like there's a reason they're still connected. But like it it kind of feels like no one else needs to be part of it. No. It seems like everyone there is there by obligation mm-hmm. and not desire to wish anyone congratulations. No. And part of and, and I also wonder too, because of who she is and this is ultimately like this is for her her business. Um, for her yeah. business, if being there becomes, like, something that will be noticed. You know, because right. if you're on the guest list, then you're going to be part of the photos, which is going to be part of the magazine spread. And, oh, look, Jules is married to this television guy. You know, like, there's all of that that sort of comes yeah. with it. And the paparazzi have taken photos of them before. Yeah. Like, yeah, it becomes a be seen rather than a yeah. care. <laughs> Yeah, so it was, it's what, and again, the hunt, if you get a chance to read The Hunting Party, you should do that, because it's very good. Maybe I'll just send it to you, and then you can send it back. Um, it was, it's very good as well, and I've read some other stuff about Lucy Foley, and these are kind of, like, the books that she's, that she's writing, um, are these, like, kind of popcorn mysteries, because that's really what they are. They're not, yeah. like, they're not super, they're not super thinky, they're not hard reads at all, but... I now that I've read it, I'd like to go back and read it and see if I can pick up the clues. Yes, absolutely. And even what I really appreciated about the book too is I was I think I started it and then I was like, oh okay, how long is this thing? And I looked and literally the last page of the book still has story in it. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I was like, this is so rare Mm -hmm. for it not to be full of, you know, acknowledgements and credits and blah, blah, and just like horse shit. I was just like, okay, she's really using up all the possible space for this story. And that's like so rare. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very, I felt when I was reading this one, I felt like it was a very tight plot. Um, She's very like economical with her words, which I thought was really nice. doesn't happen Mm -hmm. all the time. I felt the same way reading The Hunting Party and I felt actually a lot of the ways that I felt with when I read Gone Girl, the same kind of thing. Yeah. That like, here's the structure that we're going to fit this all into and now let's fit it into this structure. So even though we've got all these narrators, do you think any of them are reliable? No. Not a single person. So even though like each of these people has a list of resentments and grudges against various others... I don't, I think it's that question of any time you have a first person uh, narrator or like a a limited omniscient narrator, I I feel like it's the same sort of unreliability where, you know, I don't know, I don't know why you would be telling me this thing and not this other thing. Instead of, right. Like, why are you, why are you making this choice to tell me this part of your story? But like, there's definitely something you're leaving out. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like... With, with Jules' sister and her storyline. Like, that was the storyline I, I... Without spoiling it, that was the one I kind of figured out before anything else. And I was like, okay, clearly, alright. Like, the thing you texted me last night, and I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I kind of clued in on that a little bit sooner, like, before the reveal on that. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah. I figured but... it would be... I figured it would be a guest, but I didn't think it was that specific individual yes i didn't either but i but but as as it went on a little bit and i was starting to like i felt like there was something a little bit hinky i was like okay maybe this is it and then i was right i was like okay okay but i thought i think that it's it's hard with those and it's one it's funny that you asked that question because i talk to my kids about reliable narrators all the time right we talk about whether or not we should believe our narrators um Mm -hmm. and one of the things that uh, we have when we have like first person narrators is like well why aren't they telling us all of the things yeah and then my kids th- my kids know the answer right they know that you don't tell everybody all the details of the story mm-hmm. unless you're my mom and then you forget things but you try and tell all the details anyway but like you you don't tell everybody everything because sometimes there's details that aren't important and you just don't need to to share that stuff but I think that when you are the narrator of the story you get to de- and you're deciding what isn't isn't important then that's where your filter comes in and then someone else fills in some other pieces and so if you're able to like take all of the stories you get a pretty clear picture of what happened it just takes a really long time to get there long time yeah which which i like because it weaves those all of those stories from like the past and the present all together in a way in a conclusion that you didn't really necessarily see coming Mm -hmm. and it keeps you it keeps you guessing about each of the individuals too because even though they like each take their turn to tell their story it's an incredibly small increments each time yes and you and you hear parts of the other stories that you've already heard and then a little bit of new information and and it kind of like builds that way yeah so you're not only trying to figure out like who is killed and and who's the killer you're also trying to figure out who these people are to begin with well, and I also really like that we don't know who's dead right off the bat. 
Yeah, that I, I thought was surprising. Because it was the same thing in, in the other one as well. Like, you don't get the reveal. You just know that one of the people that you're going to meet here in the next few pages is dead by the end of the book. And one of the other people in the book has killed them. That's all you really know. And it's nice not to know. So it, there's that anticipation of, like, who's the person that's going to get killed. And I'm pretty sure they don't tell you who it is to like 80 percent in yeah I, i'm pretty yeah it, it takes quite some time it's, and it's it's nice it that takes way. forever and yes I, I like that because then as you're as you're piecing trying to piece together the story you kind of have to be like okay is this person going to be telling me their story at the end yes absolutely. you know which i think yes. is a really interesting I think it's a really interesting take, which is the difference between that and, like, the silent patient had that big surprise reveal that Mm -hmm. blew our fucking minds, but there was no perspective change. It was all... No. It was all all his perspective. It was all his perspective. He just didn't share the whole truth. Yeah. I wonder, for the hunting party, did it have the same type of chaotic physical environment yes it was in yes it was like a hunting lodge in in scotland in the highlands and yes and it was very um and except there was another character another sort of external character that was part of it so there was the person who owns the lodge and then her groundskeeper so there were like two people Two external outside forces. Outside of the... Two, actually, okay. I, actually, there was the two of them, and then there was another guy who, like, did deliveries and stuff. Uh, so he, there was a third, and then there was, like, another couple, I guess, who had stayed, who were staying there as well. So there was, like, five people sort of outside the circle. Um, gotcha. Yeah, but they the, they weren't quite as, as integral to the story, but there there was a little bit more complication of having a couple more people. But it was the same kind of thing. You didn't find out who was dead until well into the book. Yeah. And then once they were dead, you're like, I don't, who, what, why? It was, yeah, it was really, really, it was really, really interesting and really well done. And I, I okay, wonder. I'll to add it to my list. I'm curious too about like the writing process on something like that, you know, like, cause that has to be a difficult kind of story to write, I think. Yeah. Well, it's very different from like the traditional, you know, Agatha Christie Who'd done it? Like when I when I first picked up the book, I was like, "Oh, it's a," and then there were none, sort of scenario because that book's right. really similar. A whole bunch of people are invited to an island, and then you know tragedies happen, and no one's quite sure who's the killer. But this one is very, very different in terms of its like limited scope, which yes. is nicer, I think, because it is tighter. And I read something too. So the hunting party apparently has been optioned for TV or movie. And oh. I think it's going to become like a limited series because you couldn't like obviously make more than one season of it, right? Because it's a yes. it's a novel. There's it's a no continuation. Story. Yeah. But apparently the guest list is also there's discussions about that as well, and I think it would make also a good limited series. For sure, like in the same way that um, Big Little Lies. Yes. Was. Like, I could see it produced in that same sort of way. Or Little Fires Everywhere, or something yes, like that. Yes, totally. That's, yeah. So, so get, apparently get, that's that's happening. Get Reese's production team on it. She already chose this book out of 
for yes, the Yes, I was, was going to say. I was going to say. Um, okay, so yes, read those books by Lucy Foley. They're really good. Uh, the fan fiction thing I wanted to talk about has nothing to do with like anything that I've read, except that The Great Gatsby is now in the public domain, and I read two phenomenal things about it now being in the public domain. Um, a person uh, took The Great Gatsby... And obviously, like, took the, the document, did a control F, and just replaced every mention of Gatsby with Gritty. <laughs> from the Philadelphia Flyers mascot. <laughs> so oh, if you don't no. know, if you don't oh, know no. who, <laughs> who Gritty is, um, yeah, that might have to be our picture for this episode. Uh, because, yes, somebody legitimately, they just replaced Gatsby with Gritty, which got me thinking, I kind of want to find it just to look at something because Gatsby, (laughs) only because Gatsby isn't Gatsby through the whole book. Right. There's that little bit where he's not, so like, did they, you know, did they go so far? Like when he's in the car with Daisy before the war? Yes. Like that part? Yeah, and so, and when when, uh, Myra Wolfsheim is talking about, you know, we find out a little bit about him from beforehand. And his last name's not Gatsby, because he invented Gatsby as his last name. So I want to know if there's, like, a shortened form of Gritty as the last name for... That's all I... <laughs> I don't want to read it. I don't care. But I just think it would be really funny. Um, and the other thing that uh, I saw was that somebody had... I think I texted it to you, didn't I? I must have. Yes, I think so. That extra paragraph... Yes. Um, that somebody put in, which, I, like, oh my lord, I can't even... Uh, somebody kept the entire text of The Great Gatsby, the entire text, did not change a single word. How could you? It's perfect. Um, but they added a paragraph where in chapter 7, when shit's kind of hitting the fan, and Tom and Gatsby are having their arguments, they kiss, and then they... Like, basically pretend it never happened. And just continue on. And just continue on as if nothing had changed. And I got into a discussion with somebody about that choice to just, to leave that like that. Because I think that's just absolutely hilarious. And I wish that I was, like, half that funny. Um, Because, holy (laughs) shit, that's so good. But we got into this conversation about whether or not... um, Nick was misremembering because, of course, he's writing the book later yeah. after his breakdown. <laughs> so, like, is that just what he wanted to happen? Or, like, is that a thing that actually happened? Anyway, it was it was a great, it was a great conversation. Um, See, if I were to choose a gritty insert, I think <laughs> I would make him... Ah. Uh, What's her goddamn name who gets hit by the car? <laughs> Myrtle Wilson. Myrtle <laughs> Wilson. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a more shocking reveal <laughs> that Tom is willing to go to such great lengths to hide this mistress and it's fucking gritty? <laughs> and then gritty gets hit by the car and flies through the air and tragically dies. It flies through the air like Piggy in Lord of the Flies. Just Yes. Oh Boise. That's a rough one. Oh my gosh. Oh, I had not considered that. Not at all. But um, wouldn't that like that'd be I feel like so funny. 
There's so many ways to make a gritty insert satisfying. <laughs> Which <laughs> I is something great. I never expected no. to say. No. But no, it was funny because when I saw because it was the day or two days after it became like public domain. So I found the tweet that said um, this. It was the, the insert about Tom kissing Gatsby is this. Tom, his nose brushing against Gatsby's, huffed in anger against his steely his steely look that defied the very words Tom was throwing about. And to my shock, with no hesitation, Tom kissed Gatsby on the mouth, a straight, undeniable lock of lips. A few moments passed, and they broke away from each other, acting as if that had not just happened. So that means that it never needs to be mentioned again in any of the rest of the book, because we're clearly not addressing it. But, like, I can I just, I couldn't get out of my head the idea that there was a person out there who had thought of this... And, like, waited until the day this became public domain and was like, all right, I'm going to change this. Done. That's all they did was add that paragraph. Like, all right, I'm satisfied with my work. Oh, I think it was done way <laughs> before, but they just sat on it. Yeah, that, that's like, exactly. And, and published it as, as soon as soon they. As soon as this is free, I'm just going to press submit. Yeah. And I just think, I think there's something about that that's just endlessly funny to me. That you have all of the opportunity in the world to make all of these choices and all of these changes. And you're like, no, that's the one I'm going with. And it's also just, like, absurd. <laughs> like, it's really, as if, it's really good. As if there would be zero reaction from no. anyone else. <laughs> I know, I know. And Which also is why... as if Tom would even... But that's why we I got into the discussion of whether or not Nick was just misremembering. Like, he was, you know, the fight was so heated that in his mind, like, this is what happened, but it's not actually what happened. And then the other, the when I sent you the link to the other thing, it's just, the, the fanfic is called The Great Gritty. Um, instead of The Great Gatsby. And all I said was, Kelsey, did you do this? How dare you? I would never. <laughs> I would never sink so low. Oh, and it to just, sully like, a masterpiece just with gritty. Me... And the summary of this is, a beloved sports mascot neglects his passion for ice hockey in favor of indulging in obsession over a former love with tragic consequences. What does that even mean? I don't know, but it's literally, like, I scanned through the first little bit. Um, you know that bit at the in, in the beginning of chapter one when it's like, you know, Gatsby turned out all right? In the end, it's what preyed on Gatsby. Yeah, I'm just going to read this to you with the the addition here. No, Gritty turned all right at the end. It is what preyed on Gritty. What foul dust floated in the wake of his dreams that temporarily closed out my interest in the abortive sorrows and short-winded elations of men. There's just something about that that's really funny to me, too. It is, because the word Gritty has no place in that prose. (laughs) No, not even a little bit. Like, Gatsby it's is a little so bit poetic. incongruous. Yeah. Well, Gatsby, the word, Gat, the name Gatsby is a little bit poetic, right? Like, there's something sort of fanciful yeah. about it. Gritty is not. No. It's, it's just, a verb. It's so funny. Oh, God, it's so, so funny. Anyway, so that's, that's what I wanted to talk about fanfiction-wise. I didn't want to talk about anything else. I just thought those two things were really, really funny. Okay. Um, Okay, I, we didn't give her many questions this week. One of them was, what is your favorite kind of pie? Apple. Uh, mine is cherry. And another one was, this is a good question. Hang on, I need to find out. It made me chuckle. Uh, who's the ugliest handsome man ever? Oh. That's a great question. Ugliest handsome man. Yeah. 
Steve Buscemi? <laughs> is he handsome though? I don't know. Like that's I a, don't know. Like what is That's oh, a, it's a hard question. It's a hard thing to define. Oh man. You know what? No, I'm going with Alan Rickman. Okay. Cause he's so good in sense and sensibility. Okay. He has this like enigmatic quality to him where you cannot look away, but he's not traditionally handsome. Okay. okay. I think you could also say the same about Daniel Day Lewis. I would do a hard disagree because I think he's very attractive. Wait, wait, wait. No, I'm not thinking of Daniel Day-Lewis. Who am I thinking of? Um, Jeremy Irons, sorry. Okay, yeah, that's Jeremy where I can work with that. Yeah, yeah, because Daniel yes. Day-Lewis, I just watched Last of the Mohicans like a week ago. There's no way that you were, you were correct in what you said. No, young, De- <laughs> young DDL is a sight to behold. Yes, so. absolutely. Uh, I would say you're going to roll your eyes at me, but I'm okay with it. I feel like Adam Driver fits the bill. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Because, like, it just stop for a second. No, no, it, it fits. It, it does, fits. It, like, it does fit the bill, right? Because, like, not classically yes. good looking. But, yeah. Understood. But somehow understood. all of those pieces fit together and work very well. Yeah. Um. Okay. And then we had that question that you got to on that podcast, but we'll get to it some other day. Yeah, the Batman I think we one. need to leave that and the hockey thing just for yeah. next time. For next time. Can we do the BuzzFeed one, though? Oh, okay. I'd like to end with a BuzzFeed. Okay, I, t- I found this and it made me laugh because this is Kelsey and I kind of to a T. Build your dream home and we'll tell you what type of bread you are. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I'm on my phone clicking your results. Is that yeah. correct? And I'm going to click your results, yes. So the okay. first is choose an exterior. There's like there's a, a col- big range here. There's a colonial. There's like a very modern house with like lots of glass walls. There's like a palatial kind of estate. There's something that could be a Cape Cod, but not really. I don't know. One that looks like- no more of like a, a southern country, like porch wraps all around the mm-hmm. house. What, what would you say about that one in bottom middle? Vancouver. <laughs> yes. Uh, what about bottom right? Suburban housewife. Okay, I want the porch. I was going to pick the porch. Well, pick the porch. That's fine. No, I want to make sure that we don't have garlic bread. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to choose that colonial one. Okay. Oh, wait. Shit. I just chose mine and not yours. There we go. Okay. Oh, boy. Choose a bedroom. Uh, One that's very... I'm just trying to... How do we describe these? They're they're all pretty similar. They're all very modern. They're all very spacious. They okay, my first question. Ceilings. My first question is: Do you want a bed that's really low to the floor, or one that's up off the floor? Low. Like really low. I, I can't. I don't understand those beds at all. No, I don't like that. Like straight up, like Japanese no. bamboo okay. one in the yeah. Far so left. there's yeah there's a bamboo one um with a mattress like it's not very high off the floor. There's one that's, like, very sleek and modern with some kind of weird, like, oval light on the top. But there's one with a blue ceiling, which I really like. I think that's the one I would go with. That's your choice? Yeah. I'm going to take that A-frame in the bottom left. Okay. Choose a bathroom. Oh, those are also nice. I want the top but left. But they're all so similar. Like, this is the top left you want? Yeah. I'm going to choose... 
They are very similar. They're all quite stark and like not quite, not. There's a couple of them are a little bit warmer than the others, but they're like kind of stark and a little bit industrial. And there's also <coughs> just a lot of unused space. Yeah, which is why I like. I'm gonna the take left. middle bottom. Okay. Choose a kitchen. So we have like a. I don't know, like a very contemporary sort of modern kitchen that's not like too too sleek. There's like a farmhouse. Feel to it, yeah. Feel to the to one. There's one that's like all all white appliances and stainless steel and very like very cold. I don't like that one at all. Um, there's another one that like looks like it would fit kind of in like a I don't know. Kind of like in a Cape Cod, but with like it's got dark countertops, so maybe not quite. But it's got like the beams on the ceilings, which I really like. Um, hmm. I'm gonna go bottom left. Okay, and I'm gonna go bottom right. Okay. Choose a oh, living boy. room. I want the living room that has all the books. No, yeah, I don't. That's I, need... I want bottom left. I don't like. The oh couch. really? I don't oh, like the couches okay. in the. Yeah, bottom left. White walls a little bit more. Oh modern. yeah, I don't like those couches either. No, I'm gonna awful. take bottom right. Okay. Choose a backyard. I don't want the one that looks like it's at the Palace of Versailles. That's terrible. Um, I want the one with the umbrella and the fire pit. Okay, I'm gonna take the one. I'm gonna take the one below that one. Okay. Uh, choose an extra. I want the books. You want the library? Yeah. Ooh, there's so there's a library, a theater. It looks like a lit um... wine cellar. Is it a wine cellar or a closet? Well, it's no, I think, yeah, those are, yeah, those are bottles. Oh, okay, sorry. So there's a see. really nice pool. Uh, there's a, like, a home gym and then a bowling alley. I feel like I'm going to take the theater because it seems like it would be the least nuisance out of all of those. Yes, that seems fair. All right, are you ready? Yep. You are multigrain bread. <laughs> oh, let's hear this uh, explanation. A jack of all trades and down to earth. You keep people accountable and always want what's best for them. Well, I don't feel like this is accurate at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very vengeful person, Megan. <laughs> it's true. I'm well aware. <laughs> you got banana bread. I don't know. I mean, I like banana bread. You're welcoming and warm and always leave people feeling better. I feel like the kid I made cry the other day would have something to say about that. <laughs> oh, well, BuzzFeed, for the first time ever, you let us down. <laughs> this is why we should, this is why we don't do quizzes that are from the community contributors. Community, it's gotta be yeah. BuzzFeed staff only. Yeah, they're just, they don't have the same quality, control, and accuracy. No, it's true. All right, well, that is all we have for this week. We talked so much. I'm so sorry. I told you it was going to be a long one. <laughs> but anyway, it was it was fun. And we have more things to talk about for our next one, so get ready for that. Uh, there's going to be some sports on our non-sports sports cast, sports podcast. Sports cast. <laughs> Welcome to day. the Kelsey and Megan sports cast. Today we're doing a non-sports sports, 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 sports. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's time to go because it's late. Um, this is a nighttime I need one. To pee so yeah. Bad. <laughs> okay. So uh, 
that's all we have for you for this week. You can find our things on the internet, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, maybe Google, I don't know. Uh, not Spotify, though. Haven't figured that one out yet. Uh, we have a website. And an Instagram. I'm very excited to select the image for this week's Instagram post. I'm very, very excited to see what it is. Uh, we have an email address. You can uh, send us an email. We have a Twitter that, you know, you can, like, send us answer and send us questions and stuff. Um, I didn't do a great job of collecting questions this week, but as it turned out, it's okay because we talked for a very long time. Um, that's all we have for you for this time around. As always, thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you in the dumpster.